1: Hello and welcome to another episode of History Hack. We're very excited today to have with us Simon Sibag Montefiore, who is, well, if you don't know who he is, you must have been under a rock because he is a British historian, television presenter and author of popular history books and novels. He's been all over your televisions. He's written some absolutely fantastic books, my favourites of which are Jerusalem and the Roman But we're here today to talk about two paperbacks that are coming out. Um, Simon, hi.
2: Hi, it's great to be with you, Alex. What fun oh definitely
1: oh, let's start with written in history let's dive straight cool. in straight in it's such an interesting concept can you explain it to everybody
2: well because most of my most of my sort of formal history books like the romanovs and jerusalem and, and the stalin books um you know are, are based on letters my publisher one day said to me you know why don't you do a collection an anthology of your favorite letters but not necessarily the usual ones that are in these sort of collections and because I'd read very widely all over over all sorts of different histories from different countries, um, I thought I would put those together and so here we are they're all um, they're, they're all here um I've loved putting them together in this anthology and um and to match it, I also did an anthology of speeches called voices voices of history speeches that change the world these are these are written in history letters that change the world so The two of them are now out in paperback and they go together. And talking about the letters, I mean, letters are such a wonderful medium because they can be intimate, they can be public, they can be trivial, they can be erotic, um, they can be evil. All humanity is there in these letters. But the exciting thing about letters is the instantaneous nature, the spontaneous nature, the vivid moment. The spark of life is in them because they are, as they were written at the moment they were written by the sender, and that is um, that's the real delight about them. So, what I've done with this with this one, written in history, letters that changed the world, is I've divided the letters, my favourite letters from history, um, into different sections. So they're not chronological, but they're um, they're, they're divided into different different sort of um, feelings, if you like, and so there's love um family creation courage uh there's also but there's also destruction disaster blood war uh, and so on so there's all sorts of letters here and they're divided into uh, into um just theme into themes and that's the that's the fun of it so i've really enjoyed doing this and now that they're both in paperback um they're a sort of set which i'm very proud of and it's been really fun putting them together, writing writing all the introductions because there's also with each letter there's there's a sort of short text that I've written and there's an introduction really about how to write a great letter and how to give a great speech so so that's what that's that's what we're talking about today I guess
1: it's brilliant and what I love about them is they're if you like you saying you were so widely read a culmination of your life's work as well I think in many ways, uh, but let's talk about some of the headings. So you mentioned Love, that's the first one, isn't it? In Written in History. No, let's yes. talk about some of your favorites. So which one of those really stood out for you?
2: Well, I really um, adore um, the, the letters, the, the sort of, I call them letters, but they're sort of poems and letters between Suleiman the Magnificent and Hurem Sultan, um, his, his great love of his life. Uh, and, you know, Suleiman the Magnificent was the most powerful man in the world. So, uh, he was, he was, he was as powerful in, in the, um, 16th century as, as the president of the United States is today. He, he ruled an empire from, from Iraq to Libya. And he was a very, very, very capable, subtle, mysterious, um, uh, and, and poetical man. Now it was, it was, it was the tradition with the Ottoman Sultans or Padishas, the the, the emperors, that they they were also poets. And they each had pen names for their poetry. And he wrote poetry to to Harem Sultan. Harem Sultan means the joy of the Sultan. And she was a Russian uh, girl stolen as a slave, sold as a slave and bought by the Sultan. And so their love letters are very touching and moving and fascinating, but they're also, the undercurrent of them is they are between the most powerful man in the world and the slave girl that he falls in love with and then marries and she becomes the first of the really powerful women of Ottoman history. So so the letters and poems between them are about love, but of course, they're very much about power too.
1: It's outstanding, isn't it? There, there's some, definitely some bridges as well. So you do have a section on family, which is an extension of love. Yes. Uh, which was your favourite in there?
2: Oh, I'm going to look right now. Let's see. Family. Well, I think pretty fascinating. I should just mention, you know, what the, the first letter in that section is from Princess Elizabeth, the future Elizabeth I, the great um, English queen. And it's to her sister, Mary who was then queen um, in her own right. And it's really a letter in which Elizabeth begs for her life from her own sister, her uh, half-sister. She's been accused of treason and she's suspected she's in great danger. And so it's just a little demonstration of the dangers of family life. Mm. But I think also, I think just looking at this, I think the most touching of all of them is and heartbreaking really is the letter um, from from Vilma um, Grunwald to her husband. It's one of the few letters that were actually smuggled out of the death camps yeah. in in um, in the Holocaust in Auschwitz, and it's it's just a heartbreaking letter. Now the whole point about this this, this anthology is it's got different moods. There are extremely erotic, extremely funny. Um, extremely playful letters. And there are also letters in here that are heartbreaking. And this, this is the most heartbreaking letter ever written, I think. And, um, and it's, and it's also fascinating. She, she, she had a moment before she went to the gas chambers to write this letter and she amazingly, it was smuggled out. It was delivered to her husband who was in the labor camp next door. Mm. And, um, the letter is, I mean, I, when it's, when it's read out, we've done a lot of readings of these letters and speeches with, um actors yeah and everyone you know the audience often weep when they hear this letter
1: yeah that one in particular is um it, like you say it's heartbreaking but there is the full spectrum of humanity in there and there's really beautiful things as well like creation which i thought was a brilliant one to put in it was a really interesting road to go down uh, which mm-hmm. one stands out for you there
2: oh it's got to be michelangelo in this mm-hmm. one because michelangelo one forgets i mean Forgets that Michelangelo was the original Renaissance man. Also, it's a terrible cliché now, which is constantly used for people who can do a few things well. Um, in fact, there really only was, there only were one or two Renaissance, real Renaissance men, and Michelangelo was one of them. I mean, he always thought that he was a sculptor and couldn't paint, and yet he was commissioned by Julius the Second, Julius the, the Pope, to to paint the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. And this is a letter he writes uh to a friend in sort of po- in poetry. He was also a poet, of course, um, about um, how he painted the Sistine Chapel. And of course he had to be a hundred feet up on a scaffold, lying on his back and painting this amazing scheme of the creation of the world, uh, from Genesis. And uh, of course, you know, he was in an impossible physical position. He had to lie on his back, uh, his hands raised, paint dropping on him, a hundred feet above the above the um Above the, the floor. And he writes the poem about how he, how he's created, uh, the Sistine Chapel paint, this paint, amazing series of paintings. And at the end of it, he says, by the way, I'm just not a, I'm just not a painter. Which is, which is amazing. But
1: there's
2: (laughs) there's some great letters in here. I mean, I also think those of you who talk about funny letters, which is, you know, just the antidote somewhat to the, to the tragic ones. Um, I do think Amadeus, uh, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart's letters, are pretty hilarious. I mean, you have to, they're very scatological. They're just, they're just filthy. And, um, you've got to read them very fast to kind of get the sort of his kind of jabbering, manic, brilliant nature. Mm. And you realize when you read the letters that he, he, without the music, he could just have been a, he just could have just been a totally manic madman. But in fact, of course, you know, he could, he could, he had the music, but the letters are very funny, absolutely disgusting. And, um, I've had people, I've had people write to me in disgust telling me off for putting them, putting this letter in here. <laughs> I've had a lot of letters about the letters in here. Too. I've had a lot of emails, you know, and messages on Instagram telling me off for my, for my guy. Oh,
1: have... Vulgar maybe, but you're you're giving a cross-section of people aren't you and to kind of eradicate the fact that people can be quite filthy um we yes. certainly can be on history hat when we do the down the pub shows um, oh, that would you. be you'd be doing a disservice <laughs> wouldn't you not yes. to put that aspect of uh, people in there
2: Yeah, all humanity is here that's the mm. point
1: what about discovery i really like this section
2: well i think discovery is is um yeah, discovery is about things that we is about the opening up of worlds. So, you know, there's a there's a letter about uh, from Wilbur Wright about you know flying the first plane. Yeah, no, I think the great letter in discovery is um is is that is that the letter from Christopher Columbus, or who you know which which is just the letter that is beginning of the, the the opening up of the world, the beginning of the new world. And I I don't say I don't say that it, that it was discovering a world that lots of people didn't already know about. After all, there were there were just just in you know in the Caribbean, in 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 um in Mexico, in South America, in North America, there were millions of people, but of course we didn't know about them in Europe, and so um, so Columbus's letter reporting on what he's found in Hispaniola and the other and Cuba and the island, the first islands that he landed on, that when he arrived in the Americas. Um, is an extraordinary letter, one of the most extraordinary letters, certainly a letter that changed, certainly a letter that changed history. Um, and, uh, and of course, you know, much of the modern world came from that letter. What's
1: the craziest place you had to go to to locate one of these letters? Just because we're nerds on history, how can we love hearing about people's sources and their research?
2: Well, I mean, um, yeah, a lot of it, I mean, I, I, I've, I've, um, when I was researching, my books, particularly on the Stalin books and my first book, Catherine the Great and Potemkin. Um, I, I went all over Russia and, um, and, and Eastern Europe to find documents and, um, and, and in fact, physical bits of Potemkin, in fact, physical bits of his body. I, I, I was chasing up, but that's another, that's, that, that's <laughs> another story. Um, cause his guts were in one place, his heart was in another place and his brain and, and his bones were in other places. So anyway. That's a that's a whole nother story. We'll save that for when we do a special uh necro history um, <laughs> um I right? looking forward to it. but um yeah, I mean a lot of these I, I some of these letters I found myself in the archives. And one one, for example, is the um the letter from Stalin to his daughter, Svetlana, uh which is in which is in here in the family section. Those are letters that um I, I think I think I was the first person to find those in the Russian in the Soviet archives in the around 1999 when they opened them. And um, of course, I was absolutely thrilled to actually find these letters because uh, as you'll see from them, it's an extraordinary letter. Basically Stalin's daughter Svetlana, Stalin was dictator of Russia. His daughter was, was aged sort of, you know, between about seven and 10. She liked to pretend that she was dictator of Russia and Stalin, who was at that time a very indulgent father, liked to pretend that she was, she was in fact, the dictator. So she would write orders uh, to Stalin, and which would say, I um, secretary, uh, uh, I Stalin uh, first secretary of the Communist Party, saw all homework in the Soviet Union. Uh, in the next, in for the next year. And Stalin would agree to them, the Politburo. So these letters are really playful and fascinating <laughs> and show you something about, you know, the, the, the human relationships. And by the way, you know, one of the things that's really important in history is not to regard people like Genghis Khan, Stalin, Hitler, as sort of freakish monsters, but to understand that all power comes from, relationships between people and these people weren't madmen you know they were they were politicians extremely plausible politicians and we should remember that today
1: i was going to ask you which letters surprised you the most is that the stalin ones
2: yeah i think the stalin ones are the most the most fun um i'm just i'm just looking i mean i mean i think there's i'm just looking at the um i'm just looking at some of these just to see if it answers your question um i mean Many of them are surprising. I think. I think it's pretty amazing that Mahatma Gandhi wrote to Hitler, for example. And another one I love, um, while we're on that subject, is you know Maria Theresa and um, Marie Antoinette. Mm-hmm. Maria Theresa was the Empress of Austria, and uh, her, her daughter was 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 a princess, an archduchess called Marie Antoinette, who married the King of France, as you as you all know, and. Marie, Ant- Marie Antoinette behaved very badly. She was, she was, she was arrogant. She interfered. She was, she was, she was frivolous and she was in a lot of danger. And her mother, who understood the fragility of power and position, uh, regularly told her off. And in this letter, she writes an amazing warning that if Marie Antoinette was not careful, she, she would lose her throne and perhaps even her head. And of course, that actually happened. She did lose her throne and her head. So that's a very, I think that's a rather amazing letter, don't you?
1: Yeah. I think, and it's evidence of why you should always listen to your mum.
2: One should always listen to one's mum. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. I'll tell you another amazing letter I think is, is fun is the letter from the Emperor Babur, the, the first mogul, the first mogul em- emperor of India. And it's a rather an amazing letter because, um, it's really, about his own, what it's like to be assassinated, but to survive the assassination attempt. And he he writes about how soon after he conquered India, the chefs in the palace that would, of course they, they'd worked for the the sultans who ruled before him, um, they poisoned him trying to kill him, and he was very ill and he he recovered. And of course, this sort of thing is very relevant given what's happened, what's happening with Novochuk in our own world with the Russians. But he writes to his son to tell him the story of how he'd he'd actually been almost been poisoned and survived, and then how he took revenge on the the the, the cooks that almost who almost poisoned him, and he 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 gave them all different punishments. I mean, one was disemboweled, one was trampled under elephant who under elephant feet, and so on. But it's just rather an amazing letter to read about someone who's almost assassinated but survives
1: that's amazing to get into their psyche of how it felt that someone tried to uh, get rid of you it must have been yes. a pretty grim awakening isn't it that somebody had very, actually gone grim, to trouble. trouble <laughs> yes.
2: selling a little or a lot
0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
1: Yeah. Can you explain to us the section that you've titled blood?
2: Um, yes, I'm sure I can when I find it and look into it. Um, oh yeah, blood. Blood is just blood is the section about killing it's about political killing. Mm. And, and so we've got, um, an early ruler of Egypt from sort of thousand BC arranging the vanishing of some opponents of his. And he literally tells, he literally tells his henchmen just to vanish. He tells, he tells them just to vanish, just to vanish. He tells his wife just to have these people disappeared, which is, just shows that this sort of, this sort of thing's been going on, of course, since the beginning of the beginning of mankind. Um, There's a letter from Lenin, who one often slightly has been presented as rather a decent old father um, of the people. In fact, Lenin was an absolutely brutal, uh, harsh dictator who believed in using terror and killing to change society. And in this letter, and in this letter, you see that where he just he 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 gives orders that that a whole lot of innocent people are to be hanged in public. And he actually says on the, in the letter, be more harsh, kill more people, make sure everyone knows about it. And then of course, you've got Stalin during his terror, you've got Mao Tse Tung. Um, so this is a letter, this is, this, these are sort of letters that sort of you don't really wanna be mentioned in.
1: No, absolutely. I think yeah. the section that I found the most moving um, was Fate. Which one was your favorite in there?
2: Um, fate. Fate is about, yeah. Fate is about. Um, I guess it's about destiny. And I'm just looking at it here. I mean, there are many heartbreaking letters in here, but these are about people who've kind of been close, close to the edge in some way. So two of the letters I think are particularly interesting because they're about duels. And there's the correspondence between Alexander Hamilton and um, Aaron Burr. And it's the correspondence. You may know the musical Hamilton, but this is the, yeah. these are the real letters behind the tragic the tragic duel that really killed one of the most talented of the founding fathers of America. And at the same time, there's the letter here from Alexander Pushkin asking for a duel with someone he thought was tormenting him and blackmailing and making a fool of him. And of course, this led to the killing of really the greatest greatest figure, the greatest poet of Russian literature. Uh, who is still the titan of Russian literature and really the inventor of kind of literary Russian modern language in many ways. So there are those kind of letters in there, but also there are, there are sort of letters that really did, really did have instant change of the world. There's the anonymous letter to, Mon, to Lord Monteagle that informed, informed the king of the um, bonfire plot, uh, the gunpowder plot, um, in 1605. Uh, the Guy Fawkes plot, that was pretty fascinating. But I think my favourite in this section are the letters from Nikita Khrushchev to John F. Kennedy during the Cuba Missile Crisis. And you'll remember that John, John F. Kennedy got two letters from Khrushchev as the world tottered on the edge of nuclear um, catastrophe. Mm-hmm. And the first letter was very hawkish and aggressive. And the second letter was more emollient and friendly. And... So he just ignored the hawkish letter and he answered the, the friendly letter. And that was part of his wisdom as president. So, so that's fate for you, isn't it?
1: It is. And and just I love that within each subheading, again, there are so many tangents and so many different interpretations. It really is an outstanding book. I've enjoyed going through it immensely. But as you say, it is part of a set, isn't it? So the other book we're going to be talking about today is Voices of History. And this is the one with the speeches that have defined human history. And again, you've split it into categories um, and some of them, they're just cracking. Let's start with Resistance.
2: Well, we've got great we've got great examples of resistance speeches here. Now, speeches are very different from letters, of course. Letters mm-hmm. are intimate and secret. I mean, I, I wanted to mention before we just moved on from the letters. One of my favourite letters um, is is Leonard Cohen's letter to Marianne. And those of you who who know the music of, of 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 Leonard Cohen know that. So that's one of my that that's one of the letters from Goodbye. A section called Goodbye. Yeah. And that's a very beautiful letter. Um but anyway spe- uh, we're on to speeches now speeches are less are less intimate they're public, but they can also be to very small groups of people and so what I've done here is taken taken the idea of speeches why broadly, so they're not just um huge speeches huge speeches to to millions of people. there are also speeches to small groups to a di- to 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 small groups of a table, for example, who are listening to Genghis Khan talk about. His philosophy of life, for example. So I've taken, I've broadened the idea of speeches a little bit, just to make them more, um, to make them more intimate. But but the idea of the speeches that change the world is is a fascinating one. There are lots of books on this, but you, here you, you'll find a much broader variety than you would you do in norm, most of these collections, and it's right up to date because so the paperback I've got here, you know, is right up to two thousand to 2020. So we've got, for example, in resistance, we've got John Boyega's letter. Black lives have always mattered. From June this year, mm-hmm. which he very kindly let us publish, it's a really, really passionate and touching speech. Um, but I think, I think, I think, I, I think my favourite one is um, Boadicea's speech from um, A.D. sixty one, in which she, she, she vows vengeance on the Romans and leads the revolt of the Iceni. Um, fascinating to see a woman in power. Um, uh taking revenge for the rape and humiliation of her family and of course they actually wiped out one maybe two roman legions before they were crushed and that was the time of nero the emperor then was nero whose mismanagement of the roman empire launched um launched sparked many rev- revolts against the romans across the empire one was the icenae in 61 but another was the jewish revolt in jerusalem uh, in 66 and there's also a speech There's also a very famous speech um, in this section, Resistance, from there. And this is the speech at Masada, where the leader of the Jewish rebels um, uh, tells his followers, the 800 followers he has with him up up in the fortress of Masada, Uh that their resistance is hopeless and they must commit suicide. And he persuades them to commit suicide. And um, the speech is quite something.
1: For me as well, the dreamers section, I love that section. Of course, it includes Martin Luther King, but who else is in there?
2: Well, I mean, I, I, I love Muhammad Ali, the boxer. Um, he's in here and it's fun to have a boxer in, in, in a collection like this. I mean, he was just um, an amazing, an amazingly exuberant um, original. He was such an original And, uh, he was a poet as well. He was a poet. He was a sort of early rapper before the, before they, they didn't call it rap then, but Mm. he's funny. He's outrageous. Um, and as he says in this, you know, you know, wait till you see Muhammad Ali, he says in 19, in 1973. Um, so he's one of my favorites, but also we've got in this, in the dreamer section, we've got Michelle Obama. And what's nice about this speech is she, she, she gave the speech in London actually and It's the speech that's be the very best that you can be, and you know again it's very inspiring. But it's spontaneous. She was given a speech. She wrote a speech to give, and then she she gave she gave a different speech. And so it's really inspiring. It's a really inspiring speech from her. And she's 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 an inspiring person. Shame she's not running for president, isn't it?
1: Oh, she'd win. She'd absolutely win. completely forgive her for wanting a break from all of that at the moment couldn't you but undoubtedly could be the first female
2: who wants to fight Donald Trump I mean he's you know that's such a vicious that's a vicious fighter isn't he
1: yeah I mean you you know that there's not gonna there's gonna be no Queensbury rules there is there he's
2: he's in this he's in in fact he's in both these books Donald Mm. Trump um he's in the he's in the letters book writing Writing to Kim Jong Un, the, the dictator of North Korea, that he describes as love letters, um, and I mean he's an unlikely letter writer. But he's also what I also put in here is his speech, um, "Let America Be Great Again," "Let's Make America Great Again," which was really his launch speech. Yeah, and it is hilarious to see it on paper. Um, in some ways, uh, you know, he's a monstrous character. In other ways, he's you know he's one of the He's a skillful communicator of his message to his base. And you see that in this strange speech he gives where he talks for about two hours. Don't worry, I've cut it right down. But when you read read it in Donald Trump's voice, it's both funny and alarming and also revealing, um, very revealing about American society and how he won that presidential election.
1: I'm tempted to say let let's go far away from Donald Trump and look at this section that you call decency. Uh, I really like this section. This this includes a giant of an American president, doesn't it, in Abraham Lincoln.
2: Yeah, I mean this be this this is this contains, I think, the greatest line in American political discourse, which which is until every drop of blood drawn by the lash shall be paid by another drawn with the sword. About about slavery, uh, it's about slavery he's referring to and Abraham Lincoln, this is his, this is his second inaugural speech, much less well known than the Gettysburg Address, which is also in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, you know, one just forgets about Abraham Lincoln that he was this backwards, backwards lawyer from Kentucky and he, you know, he was just a master of many things. But one of the things he was a master of was the English language, and he virtually knew the entire Bible and all of Shakespeare off by heart. And um, he had he had a sort of photographic memory. And these speeches are so beautifully written and so powerful. But you know, he gives this speech. It's it's a very touching moment because just as we've got the speech that Martin Luther King gives the night before he's assassinated, we know when we read this Lincoln speech that he's freed he's freed uh, American slaves. He's won the American Civil War. He's reunited the, the, the union and he's won the presidential election. And now he's about it. He's about it. And within days, he's assassinated. So, you know, a lot of these a lot of these speeches are not only fascinating for, their, for the words themselves, the beauty of the words themselves, but also for their context and for what we know happened afterwards, for the gift of hindsight.
1: Freedom is another. What I love about these is these speeches, these cracking speeches in history are made at... Pivotal points in history. So you have a section on freedom as well. Which is your favourite in there?
2: I think um I think one's gotta love um Nehru's speech at the stroke of the midnight hour, you know, the moment that India became independent, the greatest, the greatest democracy um in the world. And you know what a moving moment. And again, you know, this just shows language in this very short speech by Nehru just shows the power of simplicity and clarity in speech making and if you want to be powerful if you want to be remembered make it simple make it short make it make it direct and the, the the simplicity and clarity of the phrases the language is everything and it's it's one of the great speeches of all time and you can just imagine the terrible and wonderful things happening in in india at that time as millions of people moved um many many people were massacred new states pakistan and india came came to life, reached independence from British from the British Empire. And yet also, you know, this great democracy was being created. Really, that's really quite something.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have to ask, because at the risk of being called a disgusting imperialist once again, but because of my surname, is Churchill in this book?
2: Churchill, your relate your your relation Churchill is definitely in this book.
1: (laughs) My granddad, according to all of the psychos on Twitter, yeah, your your your
2: your granddad is in it. But you know (laughs) the point point about these books is like there's far too much, you know, there's far too much division between um, between there's far too much choose choice between um, people who are fashionable, people who are unfashionable, people who are in who people who are in fashion, people out of fashion. Um, This book contains everything it contains it contains people from all uh political movements from all continents from all races from all times and and you know it's got um it's got it's got it's got it's got the full breadth of opinion and it's got truly evil people in here too it's got great people like winston churchill it's got great people like martin luther king but it's also got it's also got absolute monsters and there's a section called terror um And there are sections, there's a section called genocide. So there are some, there are some really appalling people in this book too. Really appalling.
1: I think what's brilliant about it is you didn't seek to choose speeches that have defined history that say stuff that is palatable now. You didn't, you've not censored the opinion in them. Like you say, there are some truly horrific, um, points laid out and by some monstrous people but they have still defined history and I think by taking off sort of like you're not giving yourself under any, any unnecessary pressure to impress people with speeches that we would agree with today I think that's, that's why right. this book works.
2: That's worthless and that's one of the sad things that are happening at the moment is the sort of is the, um, is the way that people wish to live in echo chambers and are, and are cancelling out people who don't agree with them absolutely And that's a tragedy. And the whole, uh, I think, the part of being part of being a a writer choosing these sort of making these sort of selections is to show these are speeches that have changed history and that everybody should know. And some of them are utterly exquisite and beautiful. I mean, you know, we mentioned Martin Luther King um, is just one example. Other ones are just chilling. I mean, for example, one of the ones I've put in here in here is by Al Hajjaj. Who is, uh, who was the enforcer of the caliph, um, of, in the seventh century AD. Uh, he, he was an ex-school teacher who became the sort of the, the chief kind of a henchman of the, of the caliph Abdul Malik. And this is a speech that every Arab, every child in the Arab world knows off by heart, but no one in England or America has ever heard of it. And so I was very fortunate that I, I heard about it and I read about it somewhere. And I got, um, I got an Arab professor to translate it for me and I really really recommend, um, it is the most terrifying and yet most beautiful speech. What he does is he appears at Friday prayers in Kufa in Iran, in Iraq, and he gives this, he gives the sermon. And as he gives the sermon, the town is surrounded by his men and he gives the sermon and he literally says, By God, I'll draw, draw, draw you down, I'll drive, drive you down to the dust and I'll cut off your heads. Um, I'll pluck them like fruit, like ripe fruit. And it is the most alarming speech. And yet it's so beautiful that in the Arab world, school children recite it in the playground. Um, and, and I think everyone should know it and read it aloud because it's remarkable. And anyway, it's in it's in, it's in in the book, and I, I think people will both enjoy it and be horrified by it. But we've also got Genghis Khan, we've got Osama bin Laden, and we've even got Hitler.
1: I mean, as much as we don't like Hitler, he is undoubtedly, his rhetoric was, I hesitate to, word, to use the word impressive, but he, he knew how to deliver a speech, didn't he?
2: He knew all about giving a speech. He practised his speeches um, in front of the mirror, literally. And he practiced his moves. In fact, he was photographed um, making his moves uh, by his court photographer in order to practice the looks that he would use. Um, there's something very sort of camp and um, and and thespian about Hitler. And he approached uh, public politics at, like an actor does. And in fact, all, all politicians, all politicians are actors. But the more extreme they get, the more um, spectacular. And hyperbolic. Their um, gestures and words are, of course. His speeches are extraordinary, but you had to be there to hear them. What's interesting about reading them is there are no great phrases as there are in a Winston Churchill speech that you can remember. Um, actually, you had to hear him give the speech. You had to see him give the speech. Of course, people listen to it in the radio with his guttural deep voice. Um, but when you write, when you, when you, when you hear them, when you read them, you realize that you had to be there. But the speeches are so important. And of course, they're chilling. They're really chilling. I mean, one here is, the speech here is called The Annihilation of the Jewish Race in Europe, for example, um, which which is just, you know, says it, it's, it, it is what it says. But on the other hand, we have, you know, really kind of, um, we have really kind of inspirational speeches like Barack Obama and so on in here too. So... We've got a we've got a real mixture. We've got a real mixture.
1: I have to say, um, Prophets, I thought that was a brilliant section to include. Uh it's it's not got many in it, it's a smaller one, but wow. I just thought it was bang on to it. Well, that's, totally, that's, completely yeah, belonged in there, didn't it?
2: Yeah, it did. that that's Moses, Thou Shalt Not Kill, um Jesus of Nazareth, Blessed Blessed are the poor, and and of course the Prophet Muhammad, turn then your face towards the sacred mosque. So Somewhere in them, we've got the three the three prophets of the three Abrahamic religions.
1: Which one of these would you have most wanted to see in person?
2: Ah, oh, that's a good. That's a good. Question. I think. I think. I'd love to have seen. I'd love to have seen um, Moses come down from the mountain. I mean, that's just. That's just the the essential scene, and I'm Jewish, of course. So mm-hmm. that's the essential scene of human history. Uh, really, the you know the creation of the idea of law. Um, and good and bad and morality all comes from that. Those, those, that speech and that moment. Um And, and so I think I'd, I'd choose that.
1: That's a really good choice, actually. I wanted to ask you as well about the section on goodbyes, because there's one of those in the the letters book as well. Which of the speeches was your favorite goodbye?
2: Ah, uh, goodbyes, goodbyes. Yeah. Well, there's some, there's some amazing speeches in here. I mean, we've got Eva Peron. I don't know those of you who may remember the musical Evita, but we've got the, 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 in the in the musical. The song is called "I Don't Don't Cry for Me, Argentina." Now this is the real speech that she gave from the Casa Rosada um, in in Buenos Aires. I've called it "Remain Faithful to Perón," and it's just before she dies. She's already got cancer, ovarian cancer, and she's dying, and she gives this speech. So that's a fascinating one. We've got mixed ones in here. I think I think the Nero Emperor Nero's speech. Is, is a short one. It's, what an artist the world is losing in me, he said. And <laughs> I find Nero, Nero's a fascinating character because of, he's really the most modern politician of the most 21st century politician of the ancient world. I mean, he, he really lived life as a sort of theatre, as a as a reality show. And, you know, if he'd been alive today, he would have had his own reality show. I mean, he's the most Trumpian uh, a leader, of the ancient world. There's something incredibly modern about him, not necessarily in a good way, but he's an essential character. And, but I think my favorite, I mentioned already the Martin Luther King speech, which he gave just before he was assassinated. And actually he talks about Moses. He the whole speech is referring to Moses that we were just talking about. I've seen the promised land, he said, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get there myself. So he almost felt that he was going to, he wasn't going to make it. But my favorite of the goodbyes is the speech given by the henchman of Attila the Hun. And again, this is one that most people won't know about. Mm. And I think it's absolutely fascinating because Attila the Hun, who had terrorized the whole of Europe, the Eastern and Western Roman empires, and conquered a huge, a huge empire of his own. Um, after, after all that, he died after an, after his wedding night with his, with his young wife. And he was found in the morning having had a, having had a hemorrhage and covered in blood. She awoke covered in blood and, 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 he was dead. And so the speech is, is just the most brilliant speech. I sort of hesitate to say touching considering how much bloodshed he'd caused, but it is actually very, it's, it's kind of something rather noble about it because they say, you know, it's amazing that you lived by, you lived by war and yet you died in rejoicing. And so I think it's I think it's the best, the best goodbye speech of all time, Attila the Hun's funeral.
1: That one surprised me, but I, I really did like that one as well. Thank you so much for coming on to talk to us about the books. They are called Voices of History and Written in History and both paperbacks are available now. Simon, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Lovely to be here. Join us tomorrow for a fascinating talk from Jonathan Jones about an article he's written. Uh, It's brilliant. It's about opiate addiction in the wake of the American Civil War and how veterans became dependent on the stuff. It's really interesting. It's really sad as well. But join us for that because it's a facet of the war that we had not ever considered. And you really should hear more about it. Don't forget, you can become a patron of History Hack for as little as a dollar a month. Just go to www.historyhack.podbean.com. It will help us keep going in the aftermath of the coronavirus, and we would really appreciate it, as we would love to do so.
2: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods,